Good morning, beloved. We will be in Galatians chapter 4, if you would like to make your copy of Scripture ready. That is Galatians chapter 4 in the New Testament. As we continue through this letter, uh, while you're turning there, um, question for you, does it matter whose child you are? Yes, it's an emphatic yes, it does matter. It matters um, a lot. Uh, and some of us may think like it matters a lot in a good way, and some of us may think, yeah, it matters a lot in a not so good way. Um, but there, there's just no, there's no denying that, like, if I ask the question, um, what feelings come up when I ask you to remember whose child you are? Um, is it an overwhelming sense of positive or negative feelings? Like, uh, we, we all have these positive things that come from our family of origin or negative things that come from our family of origin, and that's just all of our reality because we are human, we are broken. Um, so even those of us who have the, like, the best family you can imagine, like, there's still some hurt there. There's still some pain. There's still some things that are like, I wish I kind of didn't inherit that tendency or things like that. Um, but there, there's just no denying. I mean, when I think of positive things, like the question this morning, uh, like what is something you're glad that you got from your family? I, just, I have a deep love of the ocean. Um, which is why I live on a peninsula and in the middle of it, which makes no sense, but, you know, um, I thought there would be a little more laughter. Like, <laughs> courtesy chuckle, come on, people. So anyway, uh, we, we have these traditions of going to the ocean. Like, that's where I learned to rest and to recreate. And so still today, like, you, know, you have those special spots, I hope you do, where it just seems like you can hear God a little more clearly. Like, you, you find this place. It's like I had a friend who was climbing a tree, or um, being at this place where this thing happened, like they're kind of these sacred spaces where it's just easier to focus. Um, it's easier to, to rest and experience the peace of God. Uh, for me, it's just the water. I, just, I love being on the water. And so um, that was something that my family gave to me um, from, from many years of vacationing on the ocean and all, and all that stuff um, and just watching my father kind of set that pattern for us. Um, or speaking of watching my father, a work ethic, that um, in a positive sense, I was taught, like, you earn what you get. And so even if you do not get what you earn, like, by what you did, you hold the line on your side. Do not be a slacker. Like, you need to work hard and do well. And do everything with excellence to the glory of God. My father was always just putting that into me. And I would watch him and watch the way that he would pour out his life into whatever he was doing. Um, because there was just no, like, there was no ah, it's done. It was, no, we're going to do it the right way. And so he's given that to me, and that's positive, but it also becomes negative, that I can be a workaholic. That when I get my annual reviews, and you know, we're a plurality of elders, and we hold each other accountable, the thing that consistently is said to me is, stop. Just stop. And, but, uh, like, it, I start to get that little, I gotta go. And so there are these positive things, these negative things. Um, if you've done any form of marriage coaching or counseling with me, I've probably shared this story. Um, I'm really good with finances, not being arrogant, um, and I'm a church planter. So like, <laughs> there, there we go. Uh, we're not like making crazy bank, but I'm, I'm good at saving money. I'm good at not spending money. And that can be something that I look at with pride and arrogance, um, but it's actually not something I can be proud of because what's really behind that is this fear, 
this deep-seated fear of money that I've had to learn and God is still growing me through this view of money as this like, it's this item of scarcity and so I approach it with this kind of scarcity mindset of like, there's only so much and like, it, it, it flees, like it's always fleeting, like it's, it's terrifying and so we've got to acquire and so the idol of comfort and security, like I need to have enough that like I know we're gonna make it through the next bill cycle or whatever it is when in reality, God is constantly telling me like, no, it's a tool. It's just a tool. Don't be afraid of it. Use it for my glory. Don't be, it's okay to have it. Don't let it have you. And like all these things I wrestle with, and when I look at that, that tension in my life, there's no denying. You know where that came from? Guess what the number one source of conflict was in my household growing up? Money. And so I have these positive things that are great, that I love, that I got from my parents from my family of origin, and then there's these other things that are like, oh, I really wish I didn't quite catch that, if you will. Like, there are these things that are kind of colliding. And so, this is just true. And it can feel really defeating, especially if you look at this from a a very secular perspective, and I'm not saying this is wrong, this is actually just like empirically proven over and over and over that the norm is this, and this is from a great body of research, but kind of summarized into these statements by these researchers, it says, a considerable body of research supports an association between high-risk childhood, family characteristics, and negative physical and mental health outcomes throughout the lifespan. That's comforting, right? (laughs) He goes on, family discord has been associated with the development of internalizing and externalizing symptoms in children and depression, anxiety, and poor self-image in adolescents as well as adults. In addition, several studies have shown that individuals raised in high-risk family environments are at an increased lifetime risk for a wide range of behavioral and physical health-related outcomes, including sleep disturbances, obesity, alcoholism, smoking initiation and prevalence, sexual disorders, somatic symptoms, chronic pain disorders, asthma, autoimmune disorders, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, chronic bronchitis and emphysema, health issues such as high blood pressure and heart disease. All of that stemming from what was your family like? What was the environment like in which you grew up? What were the triggers? What were the things that were just constantly happening that were shaping us? And so we are greatly shaped by our family of origin. It has a huge impact on us. And again, I want to ask you, and I want you to be honest, maybe not out loud, but with yourself, when I ask you to remember whose child you are, what kind of feelings does that conjure up in you? And even the way that I ask that can change that for you, likely. Like, I can say that in a like, kind of build you up kind of way, like, hey, remember whose child you are. Or I can put a little bit of sarcasm there. Remember whose child you are. And it changes for all of us because none of us had perfect parents and so we know the positive and the negative sides of that. They're, they're always kind of in there. Even if I hope for every one of you, you're like, overwhelmingly, it was a great family. I'm so glad to be part of it. But we all know the tension that's there. And I want you to carry that tension into the text today as we continue through this letter that Paul wrote to the church of Galatia. And so the the kind of driving thesis throughout this, Paul has been writing them because he helped plant some churches in Galatia. He planted these churches to be gospel-centered churches. Like this is what actually draws us together is good news. Gospel means good news. That this is the good news that you deserve death. You deserve condemnation. You deserve the very wrath of God because you have rebelled against the creator of the cosmos. But the good news is, he is so gracious, so merciful, so loving, 
that in grace, he came and he died for you. He took your place, dying the death that you and I deserve on a cross, and then he rose again victorious over death so that we can have everlasting life, full freedom and forgiveness with him, his resurrection. Like, this is good news. We are free. We are saved. And so our performance is not what merits the favor of God. We have the favor of God. And then out of that favor of God, we live for his delight, for his glory. And that is our good. And so this is all just good news. It's beautiful. And yet some people are creeping into the church and they're, they're trying to, hey, wait a second. Like, this is great. Hey, I'm a Jew. Like, we go way back. I remember, like, I know the law and all these things. Like, I've, I've been part of the family of God longer than you. And so here's the thing. That, that whole gospel thing, that's great, that's good. But if you really wanna be part of the family of God, you also need to do this. Like you need to be circumcised, have these outward signs of the covenant. You need to observe these feasts, these festivals, the Sabbath, all these things, these kind of signposts. Like you need to start acting like you're part of the family of God in these ways that are performance-based. And so you need to remember the law. And so here's, here's the tension Paul's in. Like, no, like you remember the law and you relate rightly to it. But you do that by realizing it cannot be your salvation. If you start to look to the law for your salvation and not realize the whole point of the law was to point out you're broken and you need salvation outside of yourself, then you've missed the gospel altogether. You're following a false gospel. And so he's trying to defend the gospel. It is entirely by grace through faith. You cannot earn this, guys. And so that's what Paul has been emphatically trying to make clear to them. And so now he continues on. He's still kind of making an argument here. We're in chapter four. We're gonna pick up where we left off in verse 21. So Galatians chapter four, verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. So he starts this argument all right, guys, you want to be under the law? Well, don't you hear it? This is kind of a rhetorical question. He's, he's building a case off of this. He's pointing out a contradiction. You guys say you want to be, like you desire to be under the law, but don't you hear it? Don't you hear what the law says? Don't you see the contradiction of your desire there? And when he says under the law, you desire to be under the law, you who want to be under the law, to be under the law is meaning to look to it and your adherence to it or your performance in light of it for salvation. So you, you who want to be good enough to go to heaven, you who think that you can just be a good enough person and kind of the, the weight of the scales will tip in your favor and then, yeah, yeah, I'll be good. Those of you who think that you can in some way earn the favor of God, now don't you know what the rule book says? Haven't you heard it? He's, he's making this point. You can't pick and choose parts. You need the whole of it. And the other thing he did there, so let me read it again. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? For it is written, so now hear this part of the law, he's saying that you seem to have not heard. Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. So when you think of the law, what part of scripture do you think of? Like, oh, well, there's like, Moses goes up on Sinai and receives the Ten Commandments. I think that's back in Exodus. So like, I guess we're getting some of the law in Exodus and he's starting to tell him like all these things about the tabernacle that sound like law and stuff. And then Leviticus, man, oh, Leviticus. Like every year when I try to do the read the Bible in a year, I get to Leviticus and I'm like, oh, this is crazy. I'm, <laughs> I'm out. Like, okay, so, so you start to think, okay, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Exodus, like it's kind of mixed in there. Like I, I'm thinking law language, thou shalt not and thou shall and things like that. 
but he's talking about Abraham. Like, is Paul confused? Like, this is weird. Paul talking about Abraham, talking about the law. He just broke our category of law by and large. Like, most of us have a category for law that's these specific places in the scripture, and yet Paul is saying, haven't you heard the law? And then he starts talking about Abraham. And what we think is like, well, it's historic narrative. It's Genesis. First book of the Bible where it talks about Abraham and his story. So what is he doing there? What the law is a reference to is actually a reference to what the whole of what we call the Old Testament is. They, they would not always reduce the law to just what we tend to think as these kind of legalized code of, of just law and like thou shalt, thou shalt not and all this stuff. We like that systemized code of behavior and think that's the law. And yet the Hebrew people, Paul being one of them, would say, oh no, that's actually not the entirety of it. The law is a reference to all of our all of our sacred scriptures, including Genesis, where it gives the history and the story of this guy, Abraham. And so I want you to think back on him. He had two sons. Like, where are you going with this? Like, that's part of the law. Like, what what does that mean? So we continue, verse 23. He says, But the one by the slave was born as a result of the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born through promise. Well, okay. So the law, he's saying, let's, Let's expand your idea, your view of the law. The law includes this story of Abraham. And don't you know, he had two sons. And now he's saying, one of those sons was born of a slave, and one of them was born of a free woman. And so if we go back into the story, if you're not familiar with it, Abraham was once known as Abram, and he lived in the land of Ur, and so we're thinking probably modern-day Iraq. And he's in this region, and God shows up to him. And like the world is becoming more and more um, developed into cities and all this stuff. Like there are a lot of humans at this point. And so God shows up. The one true God shows up in a pagan land where they believed in many gods, none of them being the one true God. And he comes specifically to Abram. Says, Abram, your reward is gonna be great. And Abram is like, well, you must not know much because I'm pretty old and I have no kids. In fact, a slave is going to inherit everything I have. <laughs> and God's like, well, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a nation out of you. And you're going to be a blessing. Your seed's going to be a blessing to the nations. I'm going to give you a land. And he's sounds like, follow me. Leave this land that you're in. Follow me. I'm going to give you a land of promise. That I'm, I'm going to multiply your offspring, like the stars in the skies, the sand on the seashore, all this stuff. And Abram, this old man with an old wife who are past childbearing years, is like, well, I believe you. And we talked about this early in this book. And what was it? Counted to him as righteousness. Faith. Not his obedience, but his belief was counted as righteousness. And so you fast forward in the story, some years go by, at least 10 years have gone by since that promise, you're going to have innumerable children. Like you're gonna be a nation. He still has no children, which is like, well, kind of not a shocker. We're old people and we don't have kids. And yet he believed. And so they start to conspire. Sarah, his wife, and Abraham, his name has become Abraham. And so Abraham and Sarah have this little powwow. And she's like, look, here's the thing. I'm clearly not having kids. I'm old, you're old, but God gave us this promise. We're believing this promise. I think it's time we take matters into our own hands. I have this slave, Hagar, Egyptian woman. She's pretty, right? You like her? What if I give her to you as another wife? She'll be like your concubine. She's young enough. She can have children. And so 
praying that this is going to work on your end. Maybe this is how we make this promise come about. And so Abraham's like, you okay? She's like, red flags everywhere. Like, no, don't do this. But he does. They get together. They have a child, Ishmael. So now there's a child, Ishmael, is born from the slave. And yet God shows up again and is like, no, like I made a promise to you. You're going to have a legitimate child who will be a nation. And so um, in, in the background during this, you have this issue where Hagar has the child and now she's like, well, look at me. Like Sarah, the, the original, the OG here, she couldn't have a child, but I did. And so status just came up and so she starts to be contemptible. She's, she's treating Sarah with contempt. And Sarah's like, this is awful. Like, ah. And so she's upset and there's like all this tension, this friction in the relationships and everything. And then Sarah, lo and behold, just like God promised, has a real child. This is the child of the promise. This is Isaac. And Isaac is the one through which this whole nation comes about. And so now you have this tension of Abraham truly had two sons. One was born of a slave by human effort. One was born of a promise, faith in God. And he's free, a child of a free woman. And Paul is making this argument. You see what's happening here. You call yourselves children of Abraham. Well, think about this. Abraham had two sons. Which one are you? Are you? Yeah, you're a child of Abraham. But are you one of the free ones? Are you one of the slaves? Like, oh, no, <laughs> this is rough. So we keep going, verse 24. These things are being taken figuratively. For the woman represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. This is Hagar. Now Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, now he's quoting Isaiah 54, Rejoice, childless woman, unable to give birth. Burst into song and shout for the who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate woman will be many, more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. Wow. <laughs> so he's like, here's an allegory for you. These things are to be taken figuratively. He, like, think of this story. You've got Sarah and Hagar. Sarah is free. And there's a promise given to her. There's Hagar. She's a slave. And you guys conspire to do this. And so he's saying, look, this slave one who bears sons into slavery, that corresponds to Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is where the law was given. And so you take this part that we're like, is that law? And then he ties it to this. It's like, clearly, like this is what you need to see. If you want children born into slavery, tied to the law and under the law, they're born into slavery, they stay enslaved. And this, he says, corresponds to present Jerusalem. And what is the dominant religion of Jerusalem at that time? Judaism, which is adhering to law observation for salvation. Thinking this is what we must do. We must continue to be under the law. And he's saying, no, there's a Jerusalem above and this is eschatological, which means end time stuff. And so we're getting into some deep waters here. But he's saying, no, the new Jerusalem, if you look to the end of Revelation, there's a new Jerusalem, this new city coming out of heaven. And this is, this is the true bride coming down, adorned for her husband who is Christ. And so the beauty of this is you're free. You're actually part of this family. It's a promise. It's all by faith. And so you can correspond to present Jerusalem, which is in correspondence to Sinai. It's all the law. It's all slavery. Or you can have a new mother, a mother who is free, like Sarah. You can be a child of the promise. 
So like, think about that story now, guys. You're right. You're sons of Abraham. But which son? Are you the free son or are you the slave son? So we keep going. Verse 28. Now you too, brothers and sisters. Who is he talking to? Brothers and sisters. Hey, family. Galatians, family. You too, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, the son of the free woman, are children of promise. This is the gospel. This is good news. To be children of promise, that Ishmael is a son by human means, he is a slave. Whereas Isaac is a son by divine means, and he is free. So here's, here's where this goes. Look at me. You can live your life trying to be good enough. You can live your life under the enslavement of trying to earn your way in, to look right, to sound right, to say the right things, to act in the appropriate way when the expectations come on you. And you can be a son of the slave, yourself a slave. Or you can live as children of the promise. See, no, I'm free because mom and dad are free. I was born into freedom. And that had nothing to do with me earning my way. This doesn't go back to a story of humans saying, well, there's a promise from God. It doesn't seem to be working. We're kind of losing trust in that. So we'll just figure this out for ourselves. We'll work at it. We'll work at it. And so don't do that. He's like, no, you just trust the promise. Your salvation is secured by God. He will deliver. So hold to the promise. You're free. Don't slip back into slavery because here's the thing, you know, this all started, the whole tension came about why? Because Sarah's old and has a lifeless womb. She's infertile. And I know many of you have wrestled with infertility and the deep pain, the hurt that comes from that of wanting a child and not being able to. And so now you imagine this woman who is 90 years old, her husband is coming up on 100 like, here's a promise from God. You're going to have children? It's actually going to grow into a nation. What? Like, if there's something I can do, or there's someone I can trust, trust the promise of God. Because like Sarah, from a lifeless womb, there's another lady, just some thousands of years later. Her name is Mary. And she's a virgin, which means... There is no life in her womb. And yet, there's a promise of God that comes and has been come. Actually, since Genesis chapter three, when God is addressing the woman that of your seed, one will come who will crush the head of the serpent. This promise is what it's all coming down to. And now you have Mary who has a lifeless womb as a virgin. And yet, this promise comes and life comes from her womb. And who is that life? Jesus, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is life, offering us life. This is how you become brothers and sisters. This is how you become children of the promise. This is how you become free, is this son, the free son, the one who was born miraculously of a dead womb because in coming from a dead womb, this is why the doctrine of the the virginity of Mary is important the virgin birth, because he did not receive the imputed sin from Adam. 
that he is truly sinless, yet fully human, fully divine. The God-man, Jesus Christ, is here. He's truly free, and now we can be free through this promise. So the bottom line, remember your freedom as children of the promise. Remember your freedom. It's so easy to forget. Like Abraham and Sarah, like we have these promises from God. I'm not seeing it play out, so like, what if we just took matters into our own hand? I'm gonna make this happen. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try harder and all this stuff. No, 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 you're slipping back into slavery. You're acting like the son that was a slave. Remember your freedom. You're a child of the promise. Remember who you are. You have to remember that because there will be internal thoughts and external thoughts and things that will come at you and try to call that into question. Accusations, all these things that will try to convince you that no, you're actually a son of the slave. You better perform. All the time we have these things going on. There's an ongoing persecution. Look at what he says in verse 29. After just saying, remember, hey, you're children of the promise. He says, but just as then, the child born as a result of the flesh persecuted the one born as a result of the spirit, so also now. Like, the story continues. But what does the scripture say? Drive out the slave and her son, for the son of the slave will never be a co-heir with the son of the free woman. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of a slave, but of the free woman. And so he's, again, back in that story. And so if you fast forward some chapters, what happens is Isaac is born. He's the, the free son, the one that's the, the promise God kept his promise. There is a free son now from Sarah. She miraculously has birth. And so now Isaac is born. Ishmael, the son of the slave, who's born into slavery, he's still around. And you remember there's that ongoing tension. But as he's there, and he's like kind of a preteen at this point, and he looks on Isaac, who's born, and when Isaac is weaned, there's this basically party. And what is Ishmael doing as the child of the slave? He's mocking the free child. He's mocking him. He's persecuting him. The, the free son is being persecuted. He's being oppressed by the enslaved son. And Paul's saying, just like that happened then, it happens now. In fact, this is what's happening, guys. There are people who are enslaved and they see your freedom. They're jealous of it. And they want to take you and they want to slip you out of that freedom and they want to draw you back into bondage with them. And so they'll make fun of you. Like, there's no way you're free. There's no way you're a son of God. If you were a son of God, you wouldn't do that when no one's looking. Like, well, that's not other people. That's my own voice. Yes, that's the enemy. And so Paul's saying, look, remember, we are children of the promise. We are free. And our freedom is not because of what we have done, because that's actually the enslavement of what Ishmael came about from. That Hagar and Abraham decided to get together of their own effort because Sarah was like, let's make it happen. This is human effort. And our promise is that divine effort will accomplish this for us. We're free because God has made us free, not because of anything that we have done. So Ishmael is caught mocking Isaac. This is what's happening in Galatia. There are people here who despise your freedom. They want to draw you out of that and into bondage. It's what's happening today, beloved, with legalism that we slip back into the weight of expectation. If you're a Christian, you're not going to do that. You're not going to talk like that. And, and hear me out, like there's, there's a tension to manage here. But we are called to holiness. And we do not take that lightly. We should hold each other accountable. But in doing that, all we are to do 
is to remind each other, wait, you're, you're a free son. You're a free daughter. You're children of the promise. Remember the gospel. Now act like children of the promise. But that's not threatening your salvation. Whereas the enslaved ones, the legalism, is all about the, the human effort. It's all about you're slipping up. You better get it together. Whether that's the outside voice or the inner voice, don't listen to that one. It's bringing you back into bondage. That's the persecution that he says is here. So remember who you are. And out of that, the promise is, he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion on that day. He's gonna see it through. So look to God always. How do you fight this oppression? You've gotta remember and live in your freedom. I'm meeting with someone who doesn't wanna be named, but his, his name reminds, um, well, let's just say it rhymes with film. Um, there you go. I love, I love this quote. He, he said, um, we're, we're talking about something totally different, but it was just so beautifully, this passage. Um, this is what he said. He said, our promises to God have little power, but God's promises to us have great power. What are you gonna focus on? Have you thought about that? Our promises to God have little power, but his promises to us have great power. This is the difference here. How many times do you slip into that sin? Like, mark it today, mark it today. On this day, moving forward, God, never again will I do this. I'm, I'm above this. I am a son of God. I'm not doing this anymore. This is behind me. That is my past. It's dead. I live for Christ. Promise you, God. And what happens? I'm back here. I promise you again, God, <laughs> never again. I'm gonna keep doing this. Our promises to God have little power, but God's promises to us have great power. So which are we gonna focus on? Legalism, living as the son of the slave, is looking at your promises, what you think you can do. And it's slavery. It's constant slavery. But if you focus on the promises of God, as children of the promise, this is what God said he would do, then you live as free people. Let's live like free people. Focus on his promises. I just want to be really practical and wrapping up with you. One of the main ways I see this in my own life, and think this maybe is true for you, is how do you respond to failure or critique? When someone criticizes something you've done, particularly something you thought you did well, or we're doing for a good purpose, and they criticize you. And maybe they meant it in great love, just trying to help you improve. How do you feel in that moment? Is it just absolutely crushing? Is it hard to receive negative feedback? Is it hard to, to see failure in your life? So like, what are you looking at? Your promises or God's? If you remember that you're a child of the promise, then failure and criticism, that doesn't define me. I'm okay. I'll learn from that. I'll just remember, I'm a son. I'm gonna try to act like a son. How do I remember that I'm a son? I look at the father, what he says. He, God, you say I'm a son? I'm a son. Okay, I'm gonna keep going. I'll do what you've called me to do. But often, it crushes us. If we're living as free sons and daughters, we don't need to be devastated by it. We are still free. 
his promises will stand and they define us. And again, just very practically, um, if you want to live like children of the promise, to live as free people, you need to ask what voice is speaking loudest? What voice has most authority in your life? I, I know, I probably sound like a broken record, how much I harp on like, please limit how much you're on social media. If, cut it off. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If it causes you to constantly despair and to worry, you know, it's actually biblically commanded of you to rejoice always. Hold the hope. Cast your anxieties on him. But if your anxieties lead you into this loop of I'll just look more and more, and it just increases my anxiety. How much research is out there now to say, like, it is emphatically just awful for you. <laughs> like, the more that you become absorbed in the scrolling and comparing your life to others, that is, again, which promise are you looking at? This is what I've done. Look at what they've done. This curated picture of their life. Do you feel free? No. So Stop. Don't let that be the voice that defines you. Don't let that voice be the one that has the most authority. And maybe you're like, well, it's, it's not really authority. <laughs> but what do you listen to? You listen to authoritative voices. If it doesn't have authority in your life, you don't listen to it. And so when you wake up and the first thing you want to do is start scrolling, where's the authority in your life? Don't listen to that. Like, I, I love you and I'm begging you. Listen to the word of God. Hear his voice. Hear the voice of the one who loves us and says, you're my son, you're my daughter, you're free. I did that for you. You don't need to do it for yourself. So now you get to live in that freedom. Enjoy this. Please listen to that voice. The importance of scripture, I, can't, I cannot tell you enough. And I would confess to you, like, some of the feedback, some of the criticism, and again, I, I have to weigh this, like how do I receive this? Over the last two and a half, almost three years now of planting this church, some people, some of you even, remember when I was a youth pastor and would preach. And even over the years of me being a youth pastor to now, I can see a huge shift in the way that I preach. And I've heard feedback from people of I wish he preached like that again. I wish he preached more like that. And I have to tell you, I have made that shift because the more and more I wrestle with God myself, the more I realize like the compelling stories and all that stuff, like, yes, I'm not awesome at communicating. Like, I'm under no delusion, but I know how to get your emotions to rise and fall. And it does nothing but give this fleeting moment of oh, this or that. What I want for you is real freedom. What I want for you is the real power of God to see real change come about. Like when you start studying the whole idea of family of origin, it can feel awful because it feels like there's no hope. Like I'm just kind of stuck with what I've gotten. That is not true. This is what's true. And this is why you have to listen to the voice that has all authority in all of the cosmos. Jesus, before he ascended, said, all authority in heaven and earth is mine. He has all of it. This is what it says in Isaiah 55. It says, For just as rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return there without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout, providing seed to sow and food to eat, so my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. You will indeed go out with joy and be peacefully guided. The mountains and the hills will break into singing before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. 
Instead of the thorn bush, a cypress will come up. And instead of a briar, a myrtle will come up. This will stand as a monument for the Lord, an everlasting sign that will not be destroyed. Got some science teachers in the room? How does a thorn bush become a cypress? How does a briar become a myrtle? These things that are awful and just like scratch us and look awful. How do they become majestic? Trees providing shade and life and beauty. And God says, that's what my word does. My word does what you cannot do. Here's an organic change. An organic change that happens powerfully. And what is the power? His word. The voice of God. The one with all authority. That voice will change us. Not the voice of Kevin. Not the voice of the person who's persecuting you because they actually really, really, really want your freedom. Not your own voice that comes in sometimes negatively. Not the voice of the enemy. Not the voice of Satan creeping in making accusations. God's voice. His voice will change things. And so I desperately want to always present to you the voice of God. Hear his voice. And then every day, wake up and yearn for it. Listen to it. Hear him. Hear what he says of you. And he says you're free because of what I have done. You're children of the promise. So hold to the gospel. Listen to his voice. Remember you're free because you're children of the promise. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Oh, so much for the way in which you love us in grace and mercy that, that when we could be and we, and we so naturally are drawn towards being like Abraham and Sarah and thinking somehow we've got to make this happen. And so we'll turn to all kinds of things to try to just by our own effort make things happen in our life. Uh, you stand as a loving father who loves to give good gifts to his children, reminding us that you gave us the greatest gift of all, your son, because you so loved us. You sent Jesus. And Jesus, you came faithfully and bore the weight of all of our sin and all of our shame, all of, all of what it is to be human you experienced. And then you died for us in love. God, you, you, you're worthy of everything. You're worthy of all of our lives. So thank you that we can give you our life. And even in doing that, it's actually our freedom and our good to find life by laying it down like you did. So would you help us to be faithful in that? Spirit, thank you. Would you convict us and make us a church that desperately longs to hear your voice every day and listen to that as the greatest authority in our lives. And I pray all this in Jesus' name.